Okay, so um, I I didn't particularly join from the very I didn't join from the beginning, but from when I started, I know we talked about something about um sav or tav. I was supposed to start from tav. Oh yeah, tav. No. Tav. We're supposed to start from tav today. That one I know. So I'm looking forward to starting from tav today. I kept that one in my heart because I didn't even know what we're talking about before you said the tav. So mm. I was really looking forward to that. That's one. But then um, I think a couple of things I did pick was um, when you um, talked about, when you likened um, the instruction that God gave to them about how they were supposed to the blood of the lamb, how they're supposed to put it on the lintel of the door and put it on the side, you know, and then how um, it was also likened to the word that's in the book of Deuteronomy when um, Moses was giving them instruction on the word, how they should make sure the word is, you know, with them. They should talk about it when they walk on the way. They should write it on their forehead, you know, almost like, you know, so you kind of like likened the word to the blood, which now um, gave meaning to um, the, I think you now referred it to the book of Revelation where it says, um, you overcome by the blood of the lamp and by the word of your testimony, you understand? So mm-hmm. you're trying to liken how the blood is the word, you know, and then you now also referred it back to the book of John, where it said in the beginning, was the word and the word was God and the word was God and you know taking it back to Genesis now basically I'm just saying it the way you said it yesterday no but all I know is it's 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 amazing how there's an interconnection or interrelation between the blood and the word you know, it's almost like saying that the word is the blood, the blood is the word, you know, and then I, I remember somebody now stating yesterday that it, it now made a whole lot of sense whenever we're pleading the blood of Jesus, you know, we're not actually pleading it against the enemy, we're actually pleading it on ourselves. Mm. We're actually yeah. pleading blood. Of, yeah, we're actually pleading blood on ourselves. Like it's a protection. The way the children of Israel put the blood on their own doors, so it was on their own self to protect them from the enemies. So prior to now, you know, for every time we're always pleading the blood of Jesus, you know, it's almost like we're using it as a weapon against the enemy, not knowing that it is more like um, a shield for us. So. And even as I'm talking, it now reminds me of um, Psalm 91, where it says, And he that was the city place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So it's like a covering for us. You know, it's like what's it's like a covering for us, in, so to speak. So the word and the blood being one and the same thing. So I think that was one of the major things that one of my major take homes yesterday from yesterday's teaching. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. She actually, if I don't talk about her now, you beat me up. <laughs> I'm joking. I will. Yes. <laughs> we will. Don't worry. Okay. So.
Anybody else? Okay, so do we go right into it? Does anybody have anything they would like to say? From yesterday, what are things that you took from yesterday, the things that you learned? You know why I always ask for feedback? Because I really need to know if, like, you know, it's actually painting a picture or it's making sense to you so that I don't go ahead of myself or ahead of anybody. Um, it's why I always ask for feedbacks or questions or comments, just so that I know where we are at. Where we're at is going to enable me to know or guide me into, okay, these are the things that we probably didn't touch or cover properly. And so we should spend more time here or we shouldn't spend so much time here. So I always ask for that. It's not necessarily so that we can all be talking and wasting time. I just like to know where we are at. That's why I ask. Okay, Genesis. Okay, good evening. Good evening. Um, we're talking about our biggest take home, right? From yes. yesterday's session. Okay. I, my biggest take home, I think the first one was really or the, I won't say the first one, but like the, on a larger scale, it was to slow down when I'm reading. Mm -hmm. And then to really understand that um, the children of Israel were not, of course, they were chosen, but they, were, they still had to go through a process and everything didn't come to them automatically. They had a lot of um, requirements that they had to meet. And then literally becoming the, on living bread, like that is something that really got to me. Becoming the unleavened bread and um, without yeast, I'm um, not 99% truth, 1%. Um, what's the other one? False. Um, 1% yeah. false comes from, but yeah, like 1% not truth. So yes, mm -hmm. that, that is my that was my biggest take home. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Yeah, I worry. Good evening, everyone. Hi, good evening. Um, so, um, the first thing that um struck me was um when we read about how, or when we're talking about how, um the hosts came into Egypt, and I think also when they left Egypt. I think that was one of the things that struck me. Um, and also the question you asked about you know, why Egypt? Like, why did they have to be in Egypt? And what was God trying to do with the Israelites, you know, during that period? Then another thing that yesterday was um, the connection that you made with the, with the blood, like the seal that the, the, the blood they had to put over their, that's the shape they had the how they had to put the blood on their door and how it formed um um the Aleph bet that is Tav and how that's also what we're supposed to do with the word as well. Yeah, and that thing that struck me was about the unleavened bread as well and how you know we're supposed to 
um, be purified um, by through the Passover or by going through the Passover. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So these are the things that kind of struck me from yesterday. Thank you very much, Ari. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much. I feel, I feel, I feel like, okay, it's, it's, we're making progress. Okay, so we're talking about tab, right? Um, so I'm going to share my screen, but what I'm going to share is a whiteboard. And hopefully I'm going to ask if some of us will try to write it on the board again. Um, we just had the foundational sessions um, that was in February and March. It, I mean, I think it started in March, January or something. I can't remember, but I think, yeah, from, it started in January and then it ended in March. And it ended in February, the last week of February. Um, and I remember saying that, you know, one thing that I was particularly careful about was to not talk about the Aleph Bet. It's one of the most exciting conversations ever, but then at the same time, it can be very confusing. And last year, a lot of people in BSV, you know, dived into it. And before the end of the year, I was hearing a lot of, I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. And it was in no way my intention. So I apologize if I caused confusion to anybody. Um, and if it was really helpful, thank God for that. But um, so in the next foundational sessions, we'll be diving into like, you know, um, the Hebraic Aleph Be, um, what they actually mean, um, how we can maximize it in a place of study and how this is literally plastered around, you know, scriptures, but I will not advise anybody that is just setting out with Bible studies to go into it. It might be more harmful than good for you, except the Lord is leading you there by himself. So um, yesterday I said, when the Lord asked the Israelites to put the blood or the mark of the blood on their doorpost. Um, it was literally, you know, um, so I'm going to draw it, even though it's horrible. So hopefully you can see my screen. So it looks like this, this is the lintel. And then, so we might have this picture looking like this because this is where the, mom, can you see? Oh, yes. You can see it? Mm. Okay, awesome. So this is the lintel, this top part where the pen is, and then these are the sides, the sides of the door, right? This is its door. These are the door frames here. But what is quite interesting is that when you draw this, if I am a person that has a form of familiarity, and so please, again, don't beat yourself up we're all learning and that means that there are some things that we probably have never seen before. So don't put pressure on yourself. This is not to put pressure. The only reason I'm coming here is because the Lord specifically laid it on my heart to talk about it. So I will talk about it, right? Even though by my own human judgment, I would say, ah, I don't want to do this. But um, can you see my screen, everyone? Osiris message, you can't yeah. see this. No, yeah. I can't see. Okay, so do you want to pin my my? Okay, can you see now? Yes, can I you can. See now? Can you see now? Okay. 
I can't see you. It's just showing Esther they has started sharing screen. That's all I'm seeing. Nothing else. Are you using a laptop or a phone? My phone. Okay, so do you mind turning your phone? Do you want to turn your phone a bit? So that might help. Turn it to where? Like, maybe like, turn it like this. You may change the orientation of your phone. Okay, let me not delay yeah. um, studies. Just screenshot it and send it to the group. Okay. Okay. So, just screenshot and send it to the group. All right, group. that's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so delay. this is the lintel, right? This is the door frame. Okay. So when you're looking at it, it probably looks like an N, looks like a disjointed N one way or the other. But then if I am doing a study on this, and because there is a form of familiarity with the left bed, um, I would look at this and I say, oh, my days, this reminds me of something. Like God is definitely saying something here because he says this. And yesterday I said, when we're reading the text and we're reading it from this light, it kind of feels like tautology when the Lord is saying, put the blood on your door frame and your lintel and it shall be like a mark. And when I see the mark, I will pass over you. So literally it could be put this blood on your lintel and your door frame, which literally is put a tab, right, on your door frame. Um, and um, when I see tab, because literally tab is sign or mark, um, but when I see tab, I would pass over you, right? Um, or seal. So when I see the sign or put tab or put a sign on your doorpost, when I see the sign, I will pass over you. And so it's, you know, it just becomes very crazy and insanely beautiful what the Lord is trying to say here. So if I see this, because there's a form of familiarity with the alphabet, I'm not just seeing these three things that are disjointed, I am seeing an alphabet that is called tab. And this is exactly what tab looks like. So tab, this is the simplest I can put here. This is what tab looks like. Can you see it? Yes. Okay. So this is what tab looks like. So tab looks like this, right? So is it just me that I see the similarity or do we see the similarity? Yes. Okay. Do we see the similarity? I'm like just that. cooking things in my head. I'm like, huh? there has to be some sign. Let me find the sign so that it can make sense. Okay. All right. So if I'm looking at this, I'm looking at tab. Now, this is the conversation around tab. Tab is the last alphabet in the, is the last alphabet in the alphabet. Um, so that means that in the Hebrew, and I'll give us a background a little bit, the Hebrew alphabet, just like we have English alphabet, has 22 alphabets, right? Now, the 22 alphabets constitutes the 8,000 words that was used in writing the Torah. So in English, we have like millions and millions and millions. I remember doing research on this, and I realized that we have like tens of millions of words in English, but then in Hebrew, it is a very concentrated language, right? So that means that the language has fewer words, but deeper meanings, okay? We might be able to compare this with Yoruba language, 
maybe other traditional or local dialects in Africa or in different parts of the world where we come from. And it's not just Africa, but then we see that the word is very, very concentrated. The language is very concentrated. But then, um, you know, so that means that there are fewer words, but then there are deeper meaning. And one of the reasons, like, you know, this is actually, this actually makes a whole lot of sense because you know that the Lord, when he speaks, he doesn't like to speak like, oh, I'm just going to keep talking and talking and talking and talking. You know, there is a sense of direction when he speaks his words are very direct very straight to the point he's not trying to beat around the bush or anything unless he is deliberately putting you out there to hunt for what he's sending you to say and oftentimes when you get to the end you realize that ah this was what he told me at the beginning of the time so you know he's actually not um you know he wasn't talking too much so when we're looking at the alphabet, we're looking at fewer words, but deeper meaning. And so when we take out the fewer words or when we zoom into the fewer words, we're now looking at alphabets in English or alphabet, spelled A-L-E-P-H-B-E-I-T. And it's gotten from the first two alphabets of the Hebrew language. That is aleph and bet. Um, Aleph is the first alphabet and Bet is the second alphabet. So we're looking at Aleph Bet, right? Um, that has fewer Aleph Bet or fewer constituencies, but then very, very deep meaning. And now when we now zoom into the individual Aleph Bet, right? We're now looking at symbols. Each alphabet or each alphabet literally is a symbol of something, is a symbol of eternal life, is a symbol of what God is doing in the life of man as he leads man onto eternal life. So basically, every when, when we, like I said, we look at the Hebrew language, we look at fewer words, deeper meaning. We zoom into the fewer words, we see alphabet, deeper meaning. We zoom into the alphabet and we see symbols that actually have very, 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 very deep meaning. And so it is from these symbols that we have what we call the alphabet. So every alphabet in Hebrew was gotten from a symbol. It was gotten from a, you know, a a sign. So just like we used to say that the old men or the cavemen used to write in symbols, right? So literally these alphabets were gotten from symbols that were written at the time. And then as the as as time began to evolve or as time evolved, you know, this alphabet now to stop taking the shape of symbols and then it started to morph into all these things that we see now. Okay. So for example, if I'm talking about the first alphabet in Hebrew, I'm looking at this, something like this, which is actually how this is written is quite wrong because I'm supposed to start from, so, so yeah, it looks like this first, wait till, sorry, please. Okay, I'm going to spotlight. Is this spotlight? Okay. It's a bit confusing. I'm sorry. Uh, this is time wasting. Okay, so we're looking at this that goes here first, and then it comes, and then it, well, this is weird. And then it comes here. Can anybody help me with this, please? This is a bit frustrating. 
Esther changed it from arrow to pen. That the symbol that are you using your laptop? Yes. Okay, there's meant to be like a pen symbol. I think then it gives you the option of using a pen of using an arrow. There's so no pen. pen option. There's no pen option. I can't find the pen. I, I can only find anybody this. else using your laptop. Well, that's uh, this is not working. I need help, please. I need okay, help. Okay, that's please. the eraser option. The one now is the eraser option. But yeah. I don't know how to get you the. Oh, um, I forget it. Okay. I've not figured it. I haven't figured it out. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm not showing sure but I'm not sure because my phone is showing the pen option. Maybe a picture can help if you can. Mine is showing the pen option too. Okay. No. Does anybody know how to work their way around mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. The thing is that I'm not using my laptop. I no. I can't. Okay, figure this. Okay. No, no, I haven't figured it, but I just know it's easier with the one waste time. So okay, no problem. Let me yeah. open my laptop and check. Okay. Okay. Please, guys, can you can we just not draw on the screen? It's a bit distracting, spicy. Please. I'm trying to erase it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to erase it. Sorry. It's fine. Okay, figured it. Um, now to erase it might be a problem, but anyways, um, just to track, that was really distracting. So if we're looking at alphabet, we're looking at this. It looks like an N, but it's not an N. Um, it is gotten from the symbol of an ox. So literally looks like an ox that is bent over and has burden on his back. And so when we're looking at alphabets, we're looking at numbers as well, because every alphabet, or sorry, if we're looking at aleph, we're looking at numbers because we're looking at the number one. And that's because every alphabet or every alphabet, right, in the Hebrew language has a numerical value and it's called the gematria. So if we're looking at aleph, we're looking at number one, which looks like an ox, but then it's also the beginning it also speaks about the father that carries the weight. It also speaks about the oneness between the father, between the Godhead and all of creation. And then if we're looking at bait, which is the second, bait looks like a house. And so literally it looks like, you know, a very small cottage, that's the symbol. And what that symbolizes is the house 
or the temple or the tabernacle or a or a container. And so literally every single Aleph bed points us to, is it possible for us to clean this thing? Cause I, I wanna put something here. So every single Aleph bed, okay, I'll probably just clear. Okay, done. So every single Aleph bed points us to a numerical value um, and this numerical value are not irrelevant, right? And I know we did not plan on this, but then I think it's very necessary before we go on. The numerical value are not irrelevant. The, in fact, the numerical value play a very huge role in the Bible and in scriptures and in how certain things are said. Um, but again, there is no pressure um, and don't think that, oh, I don't know this thing if I don't see it or if I'm not seeing it the way everybody is seeing it. That's not really what it is. The beautiful thing about the Bible is that it opens to, it opens up to us in its fullness based on where we are. Right? Based on where we are. And when the Lord starts to push us, it's because he knows that we are ready for these things. So please don't put yourself under any pressure or think that I'm not studying, or you're not studying right, if you're not studying this way, right? So we know, we, we look at the word, we see the concentration, we zoom into the concentrated words, we see the words, and we see the alphabet. we zoom into the alphabet, we see symbols, and we zoom into the symbols, we see numbers. And when we see the numbers, we see a narrative that is being painted out in scripture. And this will make sense, I promise you. So I really hope that we're good to go and we can move on. I, can we, we can go on, right? So I just, I think I'm just going to keep saying this over and over again. Please, please don't put yourself under any pressure, please. I'm begging you, if you're still trying to figure out the Bible in English, please don't put yourself under any pressure. Take your, take, allow God to take you at your own pace right please um so yeah now that being said if we're looking at this alphabet which is where the arrow is now right i just saw the message that we can go on okay awesome so if we're looking at the blood sign on the doorpost like i said we're looking at something that is undeniably evident and is staring us in our faces and what this is is the alphabet that this this blood sign that literally looks like the alphabet. It looks like the alphabet Tav. Now, it will interest us to know that Tav is the last alphabet in the Aleph Bay. And Tav literally means mark, signed, seal. It could also mean truth which is quite interesting because we're looking at it in the lens of Deuteronomy 6 verse 8. Again, to take us back to this place, but we're also looking at truth. Another interesting thing about Alephbet is that its numerical value is 400. And so probably you're already remembering how many years they were in Egypt um, as slaves. So, the Aleph bet is gotten from two Aleph, two alphabets called um, 
Yes, thank you very much. It's gotten from two alphabets called Dalet and Nun. Dalet and Nun. This is Dalet and this is Nun. It's just upside down. Can we go on? Is anybody lost? Okay. Yes, we can. Okay. Um, wait. Could you please draw noon in red? Like, just go over it in red. Or is it this line that looks like an L? That looks like an L. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank yes. you. Then I'm, I'm good. Yes. So does that make sense? Is anybody lost? Does anybody yes. need help? Sorry. You need help. Does anybody need help, please? Yes. They, they said yes, sorry. Okay, so please, can you let me know what you need? Yes, if that's actually help. Okay, if that, please, can you let me know what you need help? Sorry, this alpha, this um, alphabet is the tab, right? This one with yes, the moon and the star. Absolutely. So, so two two alphabets make one al one alphabet. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. Yes, it does. Thank you. So that means so we're looking at noon. Are you there? So yes. We're looking yes. At noon. So if we're looking at noon, noon looks a bit like this, right? Okay. Can you see it to your left? Yes, I can see it. Okay. So we're looking at noon to your left, right? And then we're looking at Dalet. This is the second part that looks like this. Oh, okay. And the, both of them make up the tab. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. So now when we're looking at Dalet, Right, this is quite interesting. Dalet is the fourth alphabet. This is number four. Its numerical value is four. Is anybody there? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's pronounced dialect, as in dialect, but you're removing I, so you have, you're removing I and C, so it's dialect, right? Then now you're looking at noon. This noon looks like an L in the opposite direction. I really want to make sure everybody's on, 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 sorry. Absolutely, 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 absolutely. So when you're looking at the alphabet noon, you're looking at the numerical value 50, right? And dialect, you're looking at the, in fact, let's not even say that it's just in Hebrew. If we look at English language, it's the same thing. The alphabet D is a combination of I and C. 
upside down. And be I is here, C is here, just facing the other side. Is that not what is happening? The alphabet U is literally the alphabet C. It's just upside down. We have double V on the, the, when I was in primary school, it's called it W, W, <laughs> W, double U, right? It's two U coming together, or some people say it's two V coming together. Um, you have the alphabet. Um, do you get what I'm trying to say now? I hope. So basically, the alphabet is not, it's not, it's these things are principles that are around us that we're just not paying attention to. Now, so we're not going to spend a lot of time in Noon and Dalet because we're not really talking about Dalet, but I'm just going to give us a very brief, very, very brief, um, I'm just going to wrap up very quickly. We're looking at the alphabet Dalet, we're looking at the alphabet um, that is pronounced D. So we see Dalet in Dan, we see Dalet in um, Judah, um, you know, we see Dalet in Judah, we see Dalet in Adam, so the Adam, Adam, we have a left, we have a left Dalet mem. So we see Adam in Dalet. So um, I hope we're painting a picture now. So we see Dalet, we see Dalet in Adam, we see Dalet in Judah, right? We see Dalet in Dan. And it's Dan we're actually going to zoom into um, today. Right? Does anybody need any help at all? Please let me know. Just slow me down so that I don't. You know, I don't go ahead of anyone. Let me know. Why are we zooming want. into Dan? Well, because Dan is Dalet Anun, actually, which is basically that. Perfect, thank you. Yeah. So we're looking at Dalet, we're looking at the alphabet four. We're also looking at the door because the literally, <laughs> So because literally the door is the shape of the dialect. So you see dialect and it looks like a door. So that means if we're looking at the literal meaning of Adam, which is Aleph, that is ox or beginning, we're looking at dialect, which is door, and we're looking at the alphabet mem, which is water. So we're looking at beginning, door, water. And that takes you to Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the world of without form, the earth of without form and the waters, the spirit no of the way. Lord brooded over the Wait, 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 hold on, and wait, then... hold on. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, please recap. Please recap. Start again, wait, I beg. Wait. <laughs> please recap, please. Okay. I said, if we're looking at the name Adam, we're looking at Genesis chapter one. Because Adam is Aleph, which is beginning, head, right? Sorry. Um, ox. <laughs> Can you go like this? <laughs> what this part? Let's go back. Can you start from Dan? Oh, Dan. We will get to Dan. I haven't gotten to Dan yet. I'm just trying oh, to okay, explain. Okay. Yes. So I said we're looking at Adam and we're looking at the three Aleph beds that make up Adam, which is Aleph. That is the a, that is this one, where the arrow is, this one, right? We're looking at Dalet, which is this one. And we're looking at Mem, which is the alphabet for water. That is literally means water. So if we're looking at Adam, we're looking at beginning, door, water. And that literally is creation. That literally is God bringing forth himself 
Adam as a passage, water, creation. So that also takes us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void, and the Spirit of the Lord brooded upon the surface of the deep, and the Lord said, be light, and there was light, and God called forth light out of darkness. And then we see again when the Lord said, now let us create man in our image and our likeness. So we're seeing a passageway, you know, of divinity dwelling here on earth, and man being a temple or a carrier of God. So literally, does, that, does anybody have any questions? Oh my God, can I be honest? Like when I talk about this, sometimes they fear me <laughs> because I don't know where people are, you know. Um, so does it make sense? Do we need to go back again? Makes sense Makes to me. Sense. Okay. Oh, can I just ask a question? You don't, you don't need to go back. Okay. I just want to um, clear something out. So um, I don't know, would you... It, okay, are the number, um, the symbols in the... Alphabet or the Hebrew alphabet numbered in numbered according to um how, like when they were made or how they were made or I don't know like th do the yeah. numbers basically symbolize the order of things that were happening maybe like from when Adam was made up until the doorpost thing no, not necessarily in that order. The Aleph Betel is story in the order that is divinely orchestrated. Does that make sense? So again, when we think of it in an order, there is a mindset that we have when we, when we think about order, yes or no? Mm. You, you already have an approach, but then there is a divine order. And so we see how it is arranged, or that's why it's actually described as the letters of light. Um, because literally the letters, the alphabet, are very, 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 very um, intentional, um, very, very intentional in divine orchestration, um, basically. And it's something that we cannot really ignore um, mm. you know, as we progress in our studies. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I'm good. You're welcome. Okay. So now I hope that we actually the. Adam example actually helps, right? Um, another example that I oftentimes use is the name Enoch. Most times we hear the name Enoch and people just tend to brush over what happened with Enoch. But then the numerical value that we see in the description of Enoch, because as short as that story was, as brief as that narrative was, it was embedded with a lot of numerical values. When Enoch started to have children, when Enoch started to walk with God, and how long Enoch walked with God before he was taken away. Now, you might notice the numbers 65. 300 and 365. Um, if you're paying attention, you might actually just notice 365. Oh my God, 365 days actually makes a year that is not a leap year. And you might still say, ah, oh, it doesn't really make any sense. But then if we're looking at the Aleph bet, it is obviously something that you cannot ignore. It says, Enoch walked with the Lord for 300 years. So Enoch had his children at 65, and then he walked to the Lord for 300 years. And at 365, Enoch was no more. Now, if we're looking at the Aleph bet, um, three that is the numerical or the um, that 300 represents, because 300 is a very significant number in scriptures. We see 300, we see 30, we see three, we see 33, 
you know, the number three is very, very significant and it's something that we cannot overlook when we're studying scriptures and even in our everyday lives, right? So when we see the number 300, that is literally, again, a call that is like, what? Hey, come here, slow down. You know, because even the entire, which is quite interesting, because the entire calculation of 365 is still going to give you three. So you have three plus six, nine, nine plus nine plus, I'm sorry, three, um, six plus five is um, 11, 11 plus three is going to give you 14. And then 14 plus one, okay, 14 plus one will give you five. Okay, anyways, that's just me pushing it, but that's not true. I take it back. Um, but if you're looking at the number 365, you're also looking at a number that is very, very significant, but more so the number 300. Why was it said that Enoch walked to the Lord for 300? If we take a step back, there is an Aleph bet in Hebrew <laughs> that is actually one of my favorites. It looks like a W, so it looks like this. I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm not spelling, I'm not putting it right, but literally it kind of looks like this. So it looks like a W that is just here, that is facing, tilted towards the left. This Aleph bet is called Shin. Um, we see the alphabet Shin in the Lord is a consuming fire. We see Shin in Yeshua. The consumption is in Yeshua. So there is Shin in Yeshua. It's spelled S-H-I-N as in Shin, but Shin, S-H-I-N. Now, what Shin is, is it's an alphabet that literally looks like a teeth. It is gotten from a symbol that looks like a teeth that is grinding something. And that speaks of consumption. It speaks of eating or chewing, right? And so when we look at what it also means, shin, the alphabet shin is also the alphabet that means fire. And so literally when we look at the alphabet um, shin, we're looking at consumption, we're looking at fire. And so when Paul or when the disciples or when you see in scriptures talking about fire, they're talking about shin. Literally, it's with that gravity. And it's so not coincidental that the numerical value for Sheen is 300. So now we're seeing Enoch walked to the Lord for 300 years, which somehow just happens to be Sheen. And then at the end of 300 years, which is Sheen, which is consumption of fire, Enoch is no more. And so what we're seeing there is at the end, if we're going to read that literally, right? At the end of consumption, Enoch was no more. That is Enoch had, I wouldn't even say disintegrated, Enoch was just no more. So understanding the numerical value, exactly, it was consumed. He was absolutely consumed or absolutely engulfed by the fire or, you know, the refining fire, or the consuming fire, that is God. Yes, I worry. Um, I worry. Yeah, so um, something, I'm, um, something I'm noticing now is that, so there's a possibility to kind of switch numbers with letters. So like if you find a number, um, and that's why at the beginning I said switching the numbers with the alphabet it requires a lot of 
you know, time spent in studying. Mm. So it's not because when you do that randomly, you might actually start mixing things up and it can be very, very dangerous. Um, so it just yeah, so literally spending a whole lot of time studying, seeing the patterns, you know, following the trail so that it actually, you know, um, so that you find the truth and it's not just something that we create because that's something that can be very that's something that is very possible if we go ahead of ourselves. And I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yes. So um, thank you. Yes, absolutely um, spicy. We will go through the fire. We will go through the refining fire. We will be consumed. And what is being consumed is everything else that is not God within man, literally. So, so please pardon me to go back to Dalet, um, to Tav. All this to give a framework so we understand how the alphabet thinks, how the alphabet works, and why this is very significant, right? Um, yeah, why this is very, very significant. Um, please, if you know that you're confused, you can just send a message. If you don't want to send a message to everyone, you can just send a message to me and ask me to explain it again because this can be very, um, you know. So, anyways. Can go on. Can go on. Am I allowed to move on, please? Okay. Okay. So, so now we're looking at Dalet, right? We're looking at Dalet. We're looking at the numerical value of Dalet, which is four. We're looking at the numerical value of noon, which is 50. What is interesting about it is that Dalet and noon is literally what we see here when we speak about Tav. So we said Tav is a symbol, Tav is a sign. Literally, these are the things that it means. It means symbol, it means sign. And the numerical value for Tav is 400. And when we actually start to dig deeper into what Tav is, we're also looking at truth, purified truth, undiluted truth, right? And we know that for any single human being to come to truth or to come into the realization of truth, a certain process has to be passed. So, Numerical value 400, meaning sign, symbol, seal. And I'll explain why it was called a seal, because even then we see it in the scriptures. I, I mentioned this yesterday, um, Ephesians 1, when Paul was talking about the Holy Spirit, he said the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit of what is to come and a seal of ownership or a proof of ownership. And so we're looking at, again, the Alephbet tab. We must also remember that Paul was a studious person that was a Pharisee and he had spent his entire life in Hebraic studies and there was no way as one that had gone through that process to not understand or oftentimes speak in the, in the language, you know, that the hearer would listen to and actually get, okay, this is what this person is saying. But then he also had to be simplified because of the audience that he was speaking to. So we see that it is made up of dialect and noon. Noon 
literally is a symbolism of fish, is a symbolism of, you know, literally when you think of noon, think of fish. I think of fish. Um, I think of oftentimes there are different things that it could attribute or be attributed to. Um, there are some people that say noon actually can be attributed to miscarriage, um, that is something being aborted. Oftentimes noon can be attributed to blood. Um, oftentimes noon can be attributed to you know, various things, but then I think of fish, I think of life in water, or I think of the creature that survives in truth. And so again, if I see how that plays out, I'm thinking of fish in water, I'm looking at a creature that survives in its natural element. And so if I'm placing that with man, then we're also looking at a creature that is supposed to function in its natural element. And what's the natural element of man? It is the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the father and the living water that flows from the belly of the father. So when we bring Dalet, which is the fourth alphabet, and we bring Noon, which is the 50th alphabet together, what we have is Dan. And again, you have to see the spelling of Dan. You have Dan and N. And one thing that we must take note of in Hebrew um, spelling is that they oftentimes spell um, words or names using consonant sounds. So for example, the name Yeshua doesn't have E and it doesn't have U. What you have in Yeshua, you have Yod, you have Shin, and you have Ayin. Ayin is the pronounced as A. Shin is what we said here. And Yod literally looks like an apostrophe, which is quite funny. It's the tiniest alphabet in all of the alphabets, but it is actually one of the most profound alphabets in Hebrew language. Can we move on? <laughs> okay. I really hope this is simple. I really hope that this is not um, going over anybody's heads. Um, please, again, let me know if you have questions. Feel free to slow me down, please. So the when you think of an apostrophe, you know an apostrophe is like this. So literally, this is what Yod is. And so if you're spelling Yeshua, we're looking at this, we're looking at this, we're looking at Shin, and then we're looking at Ayin. Ayin literally looks like an eyeball. The literal meaning of Ayin is eye, sight. So we're looking at Ayin. We're looking at consumption and we're looking at yod. Yod being the smallest, but being one of the most profound alphabets in Hebrew. So again, another example is yod hey vav a. Vav is an alphabet. Hey is an alphabet. And yod, again, we see it in yod hey vav a, which is what we call Yahweh or, um, yeah, Yahweh, or some people say, um, yeah, I think mostly Yahweh. I don't know if there's any other name I have seen, but then it's usually Yahweh, or sometimes it's spelled Y W um, Y W Y H W H. Um, but literally, it is Yod Hey Vav Hey. There are four alphabets that come together to make Yahweh, and so for ease of pronunciation, we now see, um, you know. Um, vowel sounds just to guide people in pronunciation. So sometimes you see Yahweh spelled as Y E H W E H, or some people say Y A H W A H. What is literally ahead, Yehovah? Thank you. What they are literally trying to do ahead, Yehovah, for example, in Yehovah, you see um, E O 
E. Yehovah. So you see the E is not in the alphabet. You see O is not in the alphabet, and you see A. So sometimes you hear people saying Yehovah or Jehovah, but then it is actually gotten from the word Yehovah and Yod Hey Vave. In fact, there is no particular pronunciation of that name. You know, so a lot of people just put vowel sounds to aid pronunciation. The reason I'm saying this is because in the alphabet or in the name Dan, there is no N. Dan is simply Dalet and Nun. And when you bring Dalet and Nun together, what you have is judgment. Literally what it is, judgment. Judgment. Dan literally means judgment. So when we see Daniel in scripture, we're looking at God is my judge. When we look at Dan, we're looking at the judgment of God. So when we're looking at Tav, anybody else has any question? Exactly. Yes, absolutely, Nico. If you're bringing Tav, exactly. So now we're probably seeing a very big picture here that it wasn't just and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely judgment, right? So it wasn't just about, um, oh, put a mark there or something like that, because even in that, right, they were choosing a different form of judgment. But anyways, let's not go ahead of ourselves. So we're looking at noon, which is a fish. It looks like a fish. Um, we're looking at also <laughs> one more thing, so you guys don't break my head, but then it's, it just gets bigger and bigger. When we're looking at noon as well, we're also looking at a symbolism of humility, because when we see the fish in water living in its, in its natural habitat or natural habitation or place of habitation, right, we're looking at one that is steeped in where he's supposed to be. But then another interesting thing, another way of looking at noon is to look at it as being bent because even a fish in itself is bent, is literally not standing straight, but it is literally like this, right? So we're also looking at a symbolism of humility, a symbolism of being bent over, a symbolism of being broken. So in bringing these two together, in marrying Dalet and with noon, we're not just seeing a door, and a fish or a door and one that is bent over, one that is humble, but we're also seeing that in marrying them together or bringing them together, we're seeing the symbolism of Dan, which is, again, Dalet and Nun, which is judgment. So when we see Daniel or Dan, like someone said, Daniel, we're seeing God is my judge. And so oftentimes we probably not notice, but when we're looking at the four um the 12 tribes when they were divided into four dan was the last to go out of the camp dan was the one that was always cleaning up after people dan was literally the, it was literally the the tribe of dan was literally the last to always go out but it wasn't just about the name it was what they signified because it is by the lord's judgment you know and his mercy that we are not consumed and we must also remember that the judgment of the lord goes hand in hand with his mercy.
Does anybody have any thoughts, any question at this point before we go on? Anybody confused? Anyone is confused? So I'm just going to take a minute to just allow us to breathe over that before we go on. Anyway, Esther, something's coming to my mind, like um, about righteousness and being judged right, right? And how like we're not even, we're not judged right because we are right. We're judged right because of Jesus Christ, right? Who is supposed to be the, who was the lamb, you know, like the, the proper lamb, right? So we've actually been judged, you know, and because of Jesus Christ or because of the lamb, we're judged right with God. I don't know. It just came to my mind. Mm. Like, right. It just came to your mind. That's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Judges. That's what Dan means. And that's why you studied the book of Daniel and you probably observed on the line that Daniel was seated as a judge. But since we're talking about the 12 tribes, it would also interest us to know that Dan wasn't mentioned in the 12 tribes in the book of Revelation 7, and that was very intentional. I think we spoke about that when we started the conversation on the 12 tribes. Um, it was quite intentional. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to upload the, the conversation on that. Okay, can we go on? Let me give us one more minute to just sink in. Yes, we can. Okay. Um, I'm going to upload the, the podcast um, that's going to give us context to that question. Um, African Creative Hubs. <laughs> um, that's going to give us, oh, Benita, that's going to give us um, context to that. I spoke about that. It wasn't about the names. It wasn't about the tribes. It was about what they all symbolized. Um, yeah. Okay. So... It's 9.15 and then we'll kick off from where we are. Sorry for anyone that is just coming. Um, I'm just giving us a minute to process what we just spoke about. Okay, let's go for it. So now that we're talking about 
you know, Dan, or looking at how Dalet and Noon comes together to give us Tav. But then as opposed to just seeing Tav as a seal or a sign or a symbol, which we'll also speak about, but then we're seeing the marriage of Dalet with Noon, which gives us judgment. And another interesting thing is, again, the numerical value of Tav being 400. That is very, 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 very important because we even see it in the text, but it's probably something that we don't pay attention to. Um, you know, it's, we, just, we probably just count it and like, ah, it's, you know, this year or it's 400 years or something like that. Um, but remember when the Lord is speaking to um, Abraham when he says that his descendants will be in Egypt for 400 years. Um, that is also very, very significant. And I hope we talk about that. But yeah, so we see Dalet and Nun coming together to have judgment. So when we trace our way back to Tav, let me clear everything so that it is clearer. So when we trace our way back to Tav, we're looking at 400, we're looking at Dalet, we're looking at Nun, we're looking at Dan, which equals judgment. Okay, so we can go on. So that means that when the Lord was actually talking to them, about putting this mark on their lintel and their door frame by killing a one-year-old lamb. Their obedience had put them at his mercy and his judgment was passed on them by his mercy as a result of their obedience. Because it's very important that we take note of the fact that the Lord did not impose, did not say by fire, by force, if you don't do it, he gave them the choice. Do it. This is how you're going to do it if you choose to do it, right? So in the choice, the man is literally saying, I choose the hand of God. I choose to be at the mercy of God rather than being at the mercy of that which has enslaved me. So that even brings us to the conversation on what is the judgment of God? And what really is this system of judgment, right? El Shaka did an amazing, amazing work. God bless him on, um, you know, on Heaven's Gate when he did a post on um, judgment, the judgment of God. So if you've not seen it, please go and check it out. It's on Heaven's Gate, absolutely incredible. You know, what is the judgment of God? You know, we're not just seeing um, a form of judgment that is without wisdom or a form of judgment that is without mercy or a form of judgment that doesn't give man the space to change. Because if you remember, Pharaoh had options. Let these people go over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know, until it gets to the point when Pharaoh absolutely and outrightly scorns God and makes a mockery of him, right? And in that moment, we're not just saying, oh, because obviously, oftentimes we say, oh, God hardened, thank you very much. Um, you know, God hardened, absolutely. God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh, 
you know, because Pharaoh had no choice. But that's not true because the entire text talks about God dishing out to Pharaoh according to what was in his heart. So the judgment of God upon Pharaoh wasn't an unfair or unrighteous judgment. It was a judgment that was given based on the idol that Pharaoh had erected in his heart. And even the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, when we look at that particular text, is not necessarily hardening as we see it in scripture. The word that is used there is the judgment. God judged Pharaoh's heart, literally. So we see that Pharaoh's judgment and what befell him, right, was according to that which was in his heart. Not because God wanted to be unrighteous or unfair or, you know, just not reasonable in his, um, in dishing out or in giving or in judging, you know, mankind according to his deeds. Now, on the other hand, the Lord says to the Egypt, to the Israelites, I want you to put the blood on the doorpost and I want you to stay in the house. And so, again, we're seeing the word bait, which is house was seeing the word tav, which is sign. And so the Lord is saying, put a sign, put a symbol, or put a mark on the door. Now, if you want to start exploring the concept of a door, the door is not just going to make you see a, an actual door, because as a matter of fact, when we start to see the conversation around door, it's from the scripture, Genesis chapter two, even in the name Adam. But then we'll not talk about that. Let's talk about Genesis chapter two. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter four with Cain. When the Lord specifically says to Cain, behold, sin is crouching at your door. Interesting. Something is crouching at your door. But I will choose or I would rather you have dominion over it. Now, when the door might not seem so significant or relevant, it is now time for us to slow down and start to ask ourselves this question. Why is it that in scripture, before Abraham was able to see the angel, it says Abraham was sitting at the entrance, the door. And then he lifted up his eyes and he saw Lot was sitting at the entrance of his city, the door. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw in Psalms, in Proverbs chapter 31, it says that the woman's husband will sit at the gate, the door of the city with the elders. And if we keep going through scriptures, you see the Lord saying to Jeremiah, go to the entrance, go to the gateway of the city and declare over the city. He said to Ezekiel, go to the gateway of the city and declare over the city. So every single time that was seen door, was seen entrance, it wasn't just a random door where things happen, even in our everyday lives. Why do you need a door? You need a door for passage. You need a door to walk out and walk in. You need a door for access. If a building, no matter how nice it is inside, if there is no door, there is no access. If a, you build a house and you don't put a gate, no matter how nice or glamorous the, gate, the house might be on the outside, if there is no access, it is useless, right? And so even as you, as all of us as individuals, we even say these things oftentimes, all the time, we say, oh, you know, I need to protect my mind. I need to protect my heart. I need to protect. What you are protecting are doorways. They are gateways. They are doorways. They are gateways. 
Your eyes is a doorway. When the enemy wants to get somebody that has no control, no watchman over his heart or over the door of his heart, literally, he will use the gateways, your eyes, your ears, your skin, your mouth, your nose. Sometimes something, you just, you, you just need to perceive something and you've given access to it. And then we go to the New Testament and guess what Jesus says? Jesus says that I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone opens up to me, I will come in, I will sit with you and I will dine with you. And then he now goes further to actually say that I am the door. Hmm. That's, that's, you know, that just pushes it from saying, okay, I have a doorway, I have a gateway, to now actually asking myself, who is my door? Who is my gateway? And what does it really, what is it really about? And even as a door or as a being, because the human being, the entire body of the human being has been created in such a way that man has, man has, um, there is access to it. You want to push a baby out of your body, there has to be a door. A door opens for the baby to come out. Right? You know, you want to feed your mind, your eyes becomes your doorway. Your ears becomes the doorway to your mind. You want to feed, you know, your soul, your skin, your physical body, as much as we say, oh, this physical body is rubbish. Is No, it's a door. And a door can either be guarded or it can be let loose. We'll probably watch all these movies of vampires. They say, oh, if you don't let a vampire come into your house, you know, you don't give access to the vampire. Oh, well, there are so many vampires. We don't need somebody that sucks blood. There are so many blood sucking things around us. Social media for one, Instagram another one. You have so many things, so many books that you read. These are vampires. These are the real vampires. If you don't give them access, they will not come. These are the real, the real blood suckers. <laughs> and so you have to be watchful over what you give access to because there has to be a watchman. There has to be a doorkeeper. And you, all of us, we are responsible for guarding the doors of our hearts. And so this is what the Lord starts to do when he wants to bring you out from Egypt. There is first a blinding and an illumination at the same time. And what that means is that he opens the doorway of your soul to see a truth that is beyond the reality that you're used to or that you're accustomed to. For every single one of us that has experienced redemption, at one point or the other, you will notice that you are blinded by the truth first. Your doorway is attacked violently by the word or by the truth of God. There is a form of justice or a form of judgment that starts to take place within you. So you actually look within you and you see that, oh my God, this thing that used to be so normal to me, so okay, so fine, and used to be a resting place, all of a sudden, a judgment has been released over that thing. And then you start to see that there is a judgment that has been released over the God of Egypt. 
your eyes are illuminated, your doorway becomes sealed. Now what you choose to do when that doorway is sealed is up to you. For some people, you know, we're like, okay, I'm gonna stay in this door. I'm gonna stay here. I'm not gonna move anywhere, right? And so we have that theology. Oh, I have been redeemed. I will always be redeemed. But then guess what he says? Inside that door that is sealed by the blood, what do you do or what do you eat inside that door? On living bread, inside that door, inside that house. Nothing yeast in the house, nothing living in that house. Everything that you eat inside that door that has been tarved by the blood, marked for mercy, everything that you eat in that house is unliving. And so we start to see an introduction, like we said yesterday, to service before God as a priest. So it is no longer about just being sealed inside the door, but now he doesn't stop there. He starts to tell you what you are supposed to be doing inside the door. And what is quite interesting is that he lets you know that that door or what is happening inside is not a place for settlement because there will still be a moving. There will still be a transitioning and a baptism of fire, which is what we call the Pentecost. But then at the beginning, there will be an undoing and unearthing and a separation because it says every yeast that you have in your household, throw them away. Take it away. Don't keep it. Don't keep them within you. Don't keep them. Don't let it reside in you. Don't let it reside in your household. If there is a foreigner within you, make sure that foreigner has nothing living, nothing yeast in their household. Everything has to be taken away. Interestingly, Jesus comes around and he says, oh, this is the unliving bread. It is my body, the same body that put, um, that Herod looked at and said, there is no flaw. There is no defect. There is no blemish in this person. Look, Jesus literally takes that same body or that bread that looks like bread. And he said, this bread that was unliving bread is my body. And so that means that my body is without yeast. My body is without any external elements, but the element of the father. My body is a body that you cannot find any blame, any blemish, any defect, any fault, you know, because in this household, it has been bought, it has been paid for, but then beyond the paying for, right? I am actively, effectively, and consciously walking in the consciousness of the father. And so when we go back to what the father was saying in time, he wasn't just carving out an escape route for these people. He was talking and introducing them to a system of judgment that they had never seen before. And what is quite interesting is that if they were paying attention, this will probably take you to Genesis chapter three. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the Lord killed an animal and covered them with the skin. Again, we see a covering. But it is not an escape route. 
It is a system of judgment that is righteous, that is true, and cannot be questioned. So when the Lord says, put this blood, this lamb that is without blemish, that is without stain, that is without spot, that is without defect, that is absolutely innocent and completely vulnerable. Use this blood, that is the essence and the life, the essence of it is not necessarily the lamb. The essence is the innocence and the stainlessness of that animal that we actually eventually get to see is the Lord Jesus. And he says, take this lamb, take the essence of purity and mark your door, mark your entrance. And if we dare say, mark yourselves, seal yourself because it is a seal. And when we think about seal, we're also looking at, you know, we'll probably I'll probably get there, but then we're looking at seal, we're looking at a stamp that shows that it is owned by someone. It is completely owned by someone and it shows a verification, a form of verification by a person. So we're seeing that the Lord is saying, seal it. I gave the commandment. So when I see it, I know that I asked you to do it. I asked you to seal it. So I am sealing it as a form of, okay, this is something I asked you to do. This is something that I desire to do for a bigger picture, not just to conceal you in this place, but to keep you here so that I can take you through a form of judgment that is going to purify you and is going to make you as I've always desired you to be, right? Put this seal upon yourself, mark yourself, and let it be a reminder of what I am set to do with you, through you, and in you. But then while you're inside there for seven days, again, the number seven reappears. You know, the number seven reappears. And then what you now see is again, the Shabbat, the rest from all works of flesh to a work that is pure, to a work that is holy, to a work that is acceptable, to a work that is void of our egos and ourselves and everything else that we think will make us feel so good about everything that God and where God is bringing us to. And the Lord says, mark yourself for seven years, and um, seven days, eat these things for seven days. And then at the end of the seventh day, you know, we're going to go on a, on a journey, on a journey. If they knew the journey, they would have just stayed inside that place. <laughs> but I mean, well, I will stay there, of course. Yeah. So this actually starts to, you know, this is literally an introduction to God's mind and what he's thinking. It's a mark of judgment. It's a mark of seal. And it's also a mark of, you know, a reminder of what he wants to do. And let me just speak a little bit on the seal. So in the Old Testament, when we're looking at the nature of the design of the priests, right? Um, there's something that the Lord actually asked the priests to wear. 
It is called a, yes, it is called a zit zit. A zit zit is a four corner attire that the priest wore in the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. The priest wore, Aaron wore it. So in the garment of Aaron, you probably see something that looks like four corners just hanging on the four corners of Aaron's um, body. What is quite interesting about that is that at some point, the Lord instructs all of the Israel, all of Israel to wear the zitzit. The zitzit used to be, you know, a particular shade of blue that was only dyed for the priest. And now the Lord asking them to wear zitzit with that specific color, just, you know, again, conceals what Paul was, what. I don't know. Is that my phone? Conceals what Peter Peter was trying to say. I was going to say Peter. Conceals what Peter was going to say or what Peter was saying in 1 Peter chapter 2. When he said, um, for you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple, bait, a house. He was rejected by people. Yes, zitzit is spelled T-Z-I-T, T-Z-I-T. Um, you know, he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. When the Lord asked them to wear what the high priest was supposed to be wearing, this is what he was saying to them. I am making priests out of you. Again, yesterday in the conversation, we said the priesthood was not something that was introduced in the New Testament, or it was not something that was introduced by Aaron. Adam was called to serve as a priest in the garden. Abel offered sacrifice as a priest. I remember in Jesus' conversation when he was talking about Abel, he said the prophet Abel, which is quite interesting because we never actually thought Abel was a prophet or that anything about prophets even existed until God started to anoint prophets or until Moses was a prophet. But then it says that Abel, the prophet, spoke of these things. That when they started to kill the prophets, even Abel, the prophet, who served before the altar, right? And so what that means was that Jesus Christ was actually saying to us, hola, prophet guy around, but we only look at the story and say Abel was the brother that was victimized by his elder brother. He was more than a victimized brother. Abel was a priest. How did he know to make sacrifices that way? So intentional. He chose the firstborn lamb. He chose the fat, he made sacrifices before the altar, before God, in such a meticulous way that it could have only been God that would have given that kind of instruction. And there must have been a form of familiarity or a knowledge, absolutely, a form of familiarity or a knowledge that he had that we are actually not seeing in Genesis chapter 4. But then Abel makes a sacrifice before the throne or before the Lord as a priest and a prophet. Another example of a priest, Job. 
made sacrifices before the Lord. Melchizedek was a priest that we see in the book of Hebrews when Paul describes him, described Jesus as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he goes on to talk about Melchizedek in about two chapters in the book of Hebrews. And so that must tell us something, that there was a system of priesthood that was ordained from the beginning, right, that man did not understand. Even when we talk about prophets, prophets was a stature that existed before the beginning. Sonship was what existed from before the beginning and was expressed through the life of Adam and the life of, um, you know, um, Enoch and the life of Abraham and the life of, you know, Moses. And then Jesus comes and then he makes it so plain as day that this has always been before the beginning. So what am I trying to say? That when the Lord actually told the Israelites, I want you to kill lamb, put it on your doorpost. He wasn't just telling them to do something that was going to save them from the rainy day. He was teaching them and slowly introducing them into what they have always been made for, a company of priests. A company of priests. And so when we see the Lord saying to Abraham, now for just the priest, I want you to take this particular color and design this particular thing called the zitzit for Aaron and his sons and the priests, and they will wear it when they come before me. They wear this when they come before the Lord. But then we move forward, and then the Lord starts to say that every Hebrew needs to wear this. Interesting. Every Hebrew needs to wear this. And so it's like he uses Aaron to explain or articulate what has always been. And then when they come into that reality, they see what he has always asked them to be, right? But then, because as time goes on, it becomes clearer, right? Man begins to see what the Lord has always asked him or always ordained him to be. And so, sorry, they took the light, I skipped. <laughs> and so, you know, literally, he sees, they get a glimpse, but then they don't really catch a glimpse of what the Lord is saying because there is no they don't really catch a glimpse of what the Lord is saying but then they catch a glimpse and then as time goes on as time evolves sorry as time evolves right the Lord starts to help them see clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and then for those that are you know, without or that were not Hebrew or Jews, that were Gentiles, then the Lord uses the simple things to help us realize that all these things were symbolisms. All these things were pointed to the reality of what I was calling you and I've always called you to be. So when the Lord was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, he first introduced them into priesthood. Because another, another interesting thing about this priesthood again is Genesis chapter 2, the Lord says to Adam, you may eat of everything except this. The Lord says to the priest, you may eat of everything except this. There are specifications of what you should do, what you should touch, what you should come near, what you should encounter, what you are even allowed to wear. Consecration that doesn't again begin in Exodus or Leviticus 
or Deuteronomy or Numbers or any of these books we see it from the beginning in Genesis. There is a consecration. You are allowed to do everything but this, consecration. And we see that playing out again in Exodus chapter 12. Do not eat consecration. Do not eat the lamb the, with the blood. Do not boil it, roast it, specifications. And so in all these things that we're seeing, we're seeing the Lord bringing people out, right? From not just as slaves, but he's introducing them to put their service on an altar that is holy and acceptable and will bring them into the realization of all that they've always been. So the judgment of God opens a doorway of purification and a reintroduction to who the Israelites were. And even for us, when the Lord starts to deal with us, <laughs> when we encounter the reality of redemption, what the Lord starts to open our eyes to see is, first of all, like we said, there is a sealing of the doorway. There is a consecration that is introduced to us for some people, it might not necessarily be just food. It might just be what you are allowed to touch, what you are allowed to watch, what you are allowed to see, what you are allowed to engage in, what you are allowed to indulge in. These things might not look like they are related, but these are the yeast that can spoil wine. Is anybody frustrated? Someone just sighed. That was a very, that was a very deep sigh. Oh my god. Oh, Shakar. Are you the one that sighed? Hey, <laughs> God. Look at what's going on. What's the meal? Eh? Oh no 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 no. Oh well, I didn't know I was not muted. Wow, I was doing some push-ups. Sorry. Wow. I see. I see that this is a ginger to do push-up. Anyways. <laughs> so we see that, you know, there is an introduction of man to not just leave Egypt, but to go towards the promise. At this point, I'm going to pause and ask, if we have any questions, any thoughts, or any any comments at all, please feel free to unmute your mic, microphones, and and actually, cause it's off. Good evening, everyone. Um, hi, Doctor. Um, so basically, um. I just, I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around what you've been saying. So the representation of the consecration of Abel to Aaron to basically all the priests and everyone that offered sacrifices to the Lord in the present time, it can be translated as, um, you know, as people who are called out to God that there are times where God asks us to consecrate ourselves in certain ways. Um, for example, some of us that sometimes go on things like, you know, a fast from social media or a fast from 
or even an outright, you know, I don't want to use the word ban, but exclusion of maybe certain types of movies or music and stuff like that. That yes. is also, it's also a consecration. Yes. Even food. Yes. Good. Yes. If you're saying this, then obviously God is asking you to stop putting certain things. Well, I yeah, actually, He has been asking me to, you know, take a step back from in a couple of things. It started with um social media, then from social media it went to YouTube. YouTube for specific things. I'm not allowed to look at YouTube for anything regarding politics, anything regarding um, basically politics and its derivatives. Then um, the, the other one has been certain types of food. I, I made it for one week and then I fell by the wayside. So... Mm. I'm kind of so hearing this is like my cane. <laughs> so hearing this is like my cane, like wow, Kosi, well done. <laughs> Thank you though. Thank you. I understand. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> It was hard. It was really hard. I was feeling so the temptation was so was so hard. I mean, it was so how would I say? It was so um um challenging. Are you crying? Is that like your body is overwhelmed with shock? Well, not necessarily shock. Let's just say I'm sad. I'm sad that I I couldn't. I couldn't do it, you know, I couldn't last, I didn't, after one week I fell, that's what I mean, you know, I'm sad about that, but I'm I'm trying to get back on the, in line again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is me putting myself out there, in case there's anybody like me. Is this you? Is this you too? My mom is sitting there laughing at herself. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> eh? Is God asking you to not do something like that? You are not the only <laughs> one. <laughs> hey, God. <laughs> you want to seal yourself inside that house and be eating? What do you want to be eating there now? Is that is it that thing that's going to save you? Is that your savior? Is that your savior? No, it's not my savior. It's not my savior. It's not helping me. It's not helping my life. Where is Rukeme? Elsha can't come and just come and talk about his donuts because I'm very sure God has been telling him to stop eating donuts. Rukeme, Rukeme will go buy donuts and be hiding it. <laughs> What is the on... is going on? Please, I don't. It's on living bread, on living bread, not donuts. There's no problem. Yeast. It's full of yeast. Donuts is part with yeast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Mommy, you know, is your, mm-hmm. the way my mom is moving is making me very suspicious. Um, <laughs> anyways, so we are uh, like this. Thank God, you Esther can yourself. drink five cans of Fanta in one sitting. Let me just put that out there. Sugar princess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Who said that? Wow. Wow. <laughs> anyways. Anyways. Let me let me give us a minute to boot and come back to Passover. And what is actually really happening at Passover? Esther. Yeah. Do you mind um like speaking about what Kutisa just said and probably just emphasizing on how it is not I don't know how to put it without sounding um as if I'm I'm ignoring the the, the consecration like what's the intent of the consecration consecration about the food or the symbolism of those foods in particular moments of our lives that if you don't mind speaking further about it. Hmm. Okay. So basically, when God created man, right? He created man with a design. He created man for a purpose. And for every single design, there is a there is a system, right? Um, there is a system. And the interesting thing about this is that as spiritual as this system sounds, it is very, very chemical. So for example, um, I mean, I said, I said it before, I'm so ashamed, but I'm going to say, it. I used to be vegan. I was vegan for four years. And, you know, even though I, I was vegan and I, you know, I didn't really have a full understanding of what that was. And I'm saying this in regards to food and I'll go to like other aspects. I didn't really understand. I, I, I mean, I read a lot. I read a lot about, you know, being vegan and all that stuff, you know, and I, I, I became vegan after I took you. What is quite interesting is that I didn't know that there were certain things that even as a vegan, I was eating that I wasn't supposed to be eating. And there are certain things that I was not eating that I was supposed to be eating. Then I met a lady, it was when I met a lady whose mom was not vegan. I think she was presbyterian. That she ate, she ate only like fish and you know, eggs, but not no meat. So she told me that her mother had to meet a doctor that sat down with her, looked at her blood type, her genotype, um, and actually helped her to figure out what was good, what was going to be productive, what was going to bear good fruits for her and what was not going to bear good fruit for her. So there are certain things that the mother was eating that wasn't good. And there are certain things that the mother was not eating that she needed to eat. And some of which were fish and eggs and all that stuff. Now this is just on a plain surface level, right? We look at it and we, Sometimes forget that the human body, and again, I'm saying this to myself too, the human body is a system. And for a system to work at its maximum capacity for the duration of time that it is supposed to work, it is necessary to ask questions about the system, ask questions about 
how the system functions and what is beneficial for that system. How can this system produce the maximum result or the best possible result, not even the best possible result. How can this system produce the best results, right? What are the things that needs to be fed or put into the system in order for the system to produce, um, you know, in order for the system to take in what it is needed and, and take out what it doesn't need anymore. One of those things is the food that we eat or the foods that we eat. So I, I, I just mentioned, oh, you know, people are actually saying, oh, based on your DNA, based on your blood type and your genotype, there is a there's a particular way you can eat. There are some of us that are lactose intolerant. Do we hear what? We don't hear what. We eat, we'll take milk, we'll take all the things that are not good for our bodies. Then we'll now go and visit someone and destroy the atmosphere of that person's home, right? <laughs> because you just don't want to hear what, and you don't want to do what you are supposed to be doing that actually works for your system. So that is a very, 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 in fact, I'm so sure there are so many people on this table, like people that you know that milk is not good for you, but you want to embarrass your forefathers. You And most times when it happens, you know, your stomach starts hurting when you're in a visitor's house, not even when you're in your, your oh own house, in public space. That's when it starts to attack you. You disgrace yourself, disgrace your family, your forefathers, and destroy the person's atmosphere because you refuse to stick with what works for your system. And that might just look like food, but there are some of us that certain things are not good for us, certain things are not beneficial for us, certain things are waste. Your body doesn't need it. It might just even be too much for your system and it will slow down the max, the, it will slow down the operative system of your body, right? And that's food. And then on the other hand, a lot of us don't actually know that we're suffering from constipation, spiritual constipation, psychological constipation, emotional constipation, mental constipation. And so oftentimes when God says, oh, I want you to stay away from this thing, we need to realize that God, to us, God is spirit. But to God, that spirit is the truth. And that spirit is real. That spirit is tangible. So oftentimes we tend to minimize the effects or the consequences of God's instruction because it sounds like a spiritual instruction. But if we look at it, it's as logical, right? It's as knowledgeable, it's as intellectual as intellectual can be. So if, for example, you spend maybe 10 hours of your life on Netflix, how is Netflix producing the maximum, um, the maximum good in your system? And what is your system eating? And what is your system producing? So when God asks you to stay away from this thing, you might have dreams and maybe in your dream, you probably see yourself passing out feces, but then it's as, it's as everyday as everyday can be. Don't eat certain things, right? Don't feed on certain things spiritually or even everyday, even even social media, you probably have an unhealthy attached attachment to social media. But then how is what you're feeding in to your system from social media producing the maximum good within you? And how is it producing the maximum good from you? If, for example, it's your job and the Lord is asking you, leave this job 
or don't pay so much mind to this thing. It is not because that job that you're going to see something. How is your system according to the design? How is that thing feeding the maximum good to your system? How is your system feeding on the maximum good? And how is it producing the maximum good? And so for sometimes when God is saying, I want you to be set apart, or I want you to feed on this, or don't feed on this, eat this, don't eat that. Take this, don't take that. Drink this, don't drink that. Do this, don't do that. It's not, we must actually learn to ask the Lord to help us pull down spiritual realities to a very, very plain, um, you know, reality in that we're able to see how, although this has been communicated from a spiritual plane, it is very, very everyday life-ish. It is very, very practical and it is very doable. It has physical benefits, you know, that actually plays out in our minds, in our eyes, in our ears, in our physical body, and even in our spiritual, um, you know, um, operative system. So God can say, oh, don't drink this or don't do that. You probably don't know the things that are in your bloodline, that the things that you're eating is feeding, feeding. So for example, <laughs> there was a time I was reading one um, research that said that the physical body has, every physical body has the tendency to have cancer. And depending on what it is fed, it actually makes the cancer more, um, you know, more, what they call that thing again? More, more cancerous. More cancerous. More can I don't, I don't know if it's more cancerous, but then it actually, it. it makes it grow or it makes it, you know, um, it just, it just dims the effect. That's the word, cancerous. Okay. Okay. Spicy, cancerous. Are you happy now? more cancerous so basically it makes it more cancerous <laughs> oh my god this spicy sometimes it talks like it's going to beat me up <laughs> you know it's, act so, it's actually <laughs> sorry 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 see please this is not english class but i, I think you understand what we're saying if you feed it it either grows or it doesn't so you don't know the things that are in your your family you don't know any of these things. And so when the Lord is asking you to avoid them, it's not because, you know, it's not because, uh, you know, you just can't see anything and you don't know why. There is so much that obedience can bring us into, you know, and we need to realize that when God is giving us spiritual instructions, it actually also plays out on the physical plane. If God is saying, I want you to stay away from social media, that's because what social media is feeding you at the time is not going to produce the maximum good. And when he tells you to stay away from social media, that is, he has brought you out from Egypt, redemption. It is now important for you to ask him for revelation. Now that I've come out of social media, what would you have me do now? Because if there is no light, that is, if there is no revelation, I can find myself back in Egypt or even the forefather of Egypt. I can, you know, the thing that gave birth to Egypt, I can find myself there if there's no light. So I can stay away from social media and I can have a very useless one month. I can stay away from social media 
and have a very useful one month. Everything depends on light. So when the Lord is saying, do certain things, it is important to ask him, what would you have me do when, you, when I leave here? If you're asking me to consecrate myself by avoiding certain foods or avoiding certain things, avoiding certain jobs, avoiding certain company, what would you have me do? Because now there is a void. And in the realms, even in this realm, whenever there is a void, if you dig four places, if you dig four holes now and you pour water, the water is not going to stay on the surface. The water is not going to dally around the holes. The water is going to fill up the holes because when there is a vacuum, a vacuum has been created to be filled. So if you don't consecrate yourself and turn yourself onto something else, right, you have left a space and that space must be filled. You can't have vacuum for one day. It's not possible. Even one second, you can't have vacuum. It has to be filled by something and it will be filled by something. And so oftentimes when you see the Lord saying, don't do this, he'll tell you do that. If you don't hear the do that, ask him for the do that. And if you don't hear specifically do that, just keep facing him because maybe that is your own do. That's what you're supposed to be doing, right? So instructions are not as spiritual as we make them look. They have physical effects. They have psychological effects. They have, you know, spiritual effects. They have emotional effects. There are some people that become very unstable when they feed too much on sugar. There are some people that become very, very emotional, emotionally unstable when they feed on too much carbohydrates. There are some people that, that find themselves very uncomfortable in their physical body. In fact, some people, some people cannot pray after they eat a bar. They just go to bed. You Talk know, to me direct. Stop the passing day. through the corners. At, 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 at certain times, you, you know that you're actually supposed to spend time fellowshipping or you're supposed to spend time doing certain things. Or you know you're about to come for Bible study meeting or Heaven's Gate meeting. That's when you want to eat pounded jam and you will not sleep off. Then you will now say, oh, I slept off. Of course you will sleep off. You will sleep off. Should we tell you sorry? You will sleep off. You will sleep very well, right? So <laughs> these are very, very everyday things. And it will help a lot if we actually stop saying, God is saying I should do this. God is, and then make it look so sacred. And so, you know, ooh, and with halos and angels singing around it. No, these are everyday things that will affect you one way or the other. One way or the other, it will affect you, you know. Um, so whatever you feed on, whenever the Lord is asking you to stay away from them, the emphasis is not necessarily on, um, on the act in itself. What I believe, what should keep us going is the why, knowing that this in itself is a purification. You know, because when the Lord asks us to be consecrated, what he's actually doing is he's purifying us and he's setting us apart. And that plays out in different ways for all of us. For some people, at the moment, it might be food. And you can, if you look at your life very well, you will notice that when you stop eating certain things, certain things might become easier for you to do. For some people, it might be movies. You realize that when you, start, when you stop watching certain movies or just spending time with certain things, you might have time 
to actually be more productive than you are productive right now or than you are right now because i can't even say some of us you know productivity is relative so if maybe you stop doing certain things it might actually produce maximum good on another level so we have to observe all these things and look at them because that's literally what was happening with the israelites when the lord was saying don't eat certain things don't do certain things um it's important that we actually take note of the fact that they were in the wilderness for a very long time um you know and we don't actually see people dropping dead on the road you know they were in the wilderness for a very long time and when the lord was actually saying do certain things or eat certain things it was for a particular reason even the priests you know i don't i don't think that you take aaron seriously if you see that you know aaron maybe is some type of way or aaron is disorganized or aaron is emotionally unstable or aaron is you know all these things are very important when god is saying these things because god desires that we are as he is and if he will have to separate us from certain things to attain that then so be it he will do it um you know for our own good and not just for our spiritual good but for the holistic benefits of our beings so um <clears throat> you know thank you so much Esther. i really wanted you to talk about this because Sometimes we get um, information, but we don't get understanding. And so we're, we're going up and down. Yeah, God told me to stop doing this. So God told me to stop doing that. So, and it's almost like a fad, a fad. And, you know, everybody has something God told them to not do or to do. Mm. And look, we don't really understand why. We don't have understanding. Mm. You know, and I will remember just the other day, there was a conversation on JNB. And the, the revelation I got in that moment was, why am I telling some of you to not take this thing? I want my telling some of you to take it. And what the Lord really expressed in that moment was, I know you. I know your genetic makeup. I mm. know how your biology works, every single one of you. So I know what will work for you and what will not work for you. I know what will harm you. It might not harm others, but it will harm you. So come to me specifically for your prescription for your diagnosis mm. you know the same way you go to the doctor does not say oh because this is affecting everybody you it must mm. affect you mm. i'm hearing this noise um so um that was really why i wanted you to um talk about that and uh because he said stop for me i know he keeps you know all of us know the air will get in head he keeps pushing me towards a certain um, corner and telling me, oh, stay away from this particular thing. At first, I didn't understand why. And so it was mm. really difficult for me to even do it. That was one of the things that even makes it more difficult because I don't understand why. And so, mm. because I'm, I can't see the benefit in that moment, I mean, for me, it's just a spiritual act of obedience. Yes, that's, mm. that doesn't negate the fact that it's a spiritual act of obedience. But when you don't see the benefit to yourself, you know, in a very practical way, it's very hard for you to obey. 